Hey, you guys, this is Lisa Clark and Chrissy and I are so thankful that you've joined us today for the Wonder Podcast. We are beyond thrilled to be launching a new book series today on the book of First Peter. And so we think it is so appropriate for 2021. We could all use some encouragement today and this year. And so that's what this book is about. It's encouraging the believer. So we are thankful that you joined us. You personally are an encouragement to us by listening to the podcast and by sharing it with your friends and family. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, we appreciate so much your willingness to tune in and to listen to the podcast. And we pray you are encouraged every time you listen. So thank you for joining us. God bless you and enjoy this episode of the Wonder Podcast. Welcome to the Wonder Podcast. Today, we are continuing our series in 1 Peter, and we have covered chapter one and chapter two. So if you have not listened to those podcasts, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those, even though you don't have to. I just think it would be fun to hear the complete book. But today, we're going to be discussing chapter three, and I'm here with my good friend, theologian, (laughs) pastor, all the things, Lisa Clark. Girl, what is going on? Yeah, no, no pastor and theologian here. You're the, you're the one with the seminary degree. No, but you're a lot smarter, Lisa, a lot smarter, but I am excited to continue our journey in first Peter. I have loved what we did in the last couple of weeks and looking forward to today. So as always, we start off with 1 Peter chapter 3 in a nutshell. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Okay, let's see what we got here. Chapter 3 teaches us that just as citizens should submit to government and slaves should submit to masters, so wives should submit to husbands. In return, husbands should be considerate and respectful of their wives. All Christians should live in harmony with one another. God will bless everyone who suffers for doing what is right. So always be ready to share this truth with others. Love it. This was a fun chapter to study, wasn't it, Chrissy? Yeah, it's very interesting. I learned a lot. Yeah, me too. Me too. So do you want me to go ahead? Yeah. Read one through seven. You kick us off. Okay. Wives, likewise, submissive. Okay. So yeah, we're talking about the S word today, everyone. The S word. Be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of, the, of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So this is a great, great section of scripture here, because if you truly look at it and read it and figure out, okay, what 
actually is being said here? What's Peter saying here? But first, before we do that, I read something, Chrissy, I just have to share it. And it's talking about marriage and it's in one of my commentaries and uh, he doesn't give it any reference about where he found it. He said, I just came, this was a piece of paper that I came across one day entitled marriage and he shared it in here. Let me read this to you. I just think it's beautiful because this is what we're talking about, right? This first part of scripture. He says, when God made light, the angels drew near to let the refractions roll over their faces like a symphony. When God made earth, they poked their fingers into its moistness. They put a fleck to their nose and smiled. When God made a rose, they parted its petals and passed it among themselves saying, so fragile, yet how it grasped the soul. When God made a giraffe, they touched the strange hide and murmured to themselves that God was up to something magnificent. When God made man, each one retired to his chamber and peered into the writings, looking for some clue to the mystery. When God made woman, they came back out of their chambers and gazed, their jaws slack with awe. When God joined man to woman and said, let them become one flesh, everything suddenly made sense and the cheering still shakes the galaxies. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. I do too. I just thought that was just so, so beautiful. Okay. So let's talk about that S word a little bit. The thing, you know, that I want to just focus in real quickly on, on submission is we're all submissive to something, right? (laughs) To someone or somebody it's gotten a bad rap, but it's not a bad word. And the way God created humankind, his great creation is that he is sovereign and in control of all things. And we are under him. And so we are submissive as the body of Christ. This is just who we are. We can't take off that hat and say, no, I don't want to be because we are. But within marriage, the man is under God. We are under God, but we're also under the man because there's nothing freakier than a two-headed monster. And we don't want to be that in our marriage. That's right. So that's what he's talking about here. I mean, there's so much we could say, but you know, these words were addressed generally to all Christian wives, but with special attention to those whose husbands are not believers. And we know this is a thing. And there are some people in our audience who struggle with this, who are believers, and maybe their husband isn't walking with the Lord or doesn't know the Lord at all. And we know that we've heard from them through the years, uh, some of them, not all of them. So he's, he's giving encouragement to these wives here. And he's saying, you know, your role hasn't changed. You know, you so much more can happen in your family and in your marriage. If you will just live this life that I've called you to be submissive, just like the scripture says. And what that's saying is don't be a nag. Don't be try to control everything. Just live in peace and harmony in your household. Love your husband. It's not, this isn't a do what he says and all that. That's not what this is talking about here. This is saying, you know, love, love the people that God has put in your life, honor them, serve them, uh, make them comfortable in your home. I love what this commentary says uh, in the Holman commentary says what a Christian wife says often will not change her husband, how she lives out her faith before him will make the difference. And I think for us as women who have Christian husbands, isn't your conduct much more important than what you say, Chrissy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And when, when I, when I was reading this scripture, 
the commentary I was reading reminded me of something that when Peter wrote this, he was addressing four different issues in the times during that time. He was addressing society, family, church, and government. So if you think back to the first chapters we've already discussed, he talked about the government. He talked about being a slave and your master. He talked about society. And now he's talking about the family. And he pointed out in this commentary, which is so interesting, it never crossed my mind. He said, the woman is probably sitting there like, well, Lord, why did you give us six verses? And the man gets one. What's that about? And that that just struck me so funny because isn't that our attitude already? Mm -hmm. Just like, what? You think I can't get this? But he pointed out that during these times, you have to go back to when this was written and women were nobodies. They didn't have rights. They didn't. The man was dominant. He was in charge at every every part of society and church. And that's the way it was. And he pointed out that many of those men were not believers, but the women would. And so he was reminding them, hey, remember your behavior. Remember the way you conduct yourself. Remember the way you're dressed. Remember what's inside your heart. And just like you said, you will influence your husband more than the words that you speak and preaching to him and nagging at him and all that. He's going to watch the way you conduct yourself, your attitude, your actions, your admiration for him, just telling him how much you love him and, and words of affirmation. Those go a long way. I don't care what your love language is. Everybody loves to be loved on and everyone loves to be talked to in very nice ways. He also pointed out, which I didn't know, that God, so this is encouraging to women that are married to an unbeliever, that God has put you in a very special position and he is influencing your marriage. God himself is influencing his mar- your marriage. Yes, he's influencing mine and Lisa's too, because we're married to believers, but our guys, our believers, they know what they should do. They already know. Their job is to walk with the Lord. But your husband, if he's an unbeliever, he doesn't know what to do. So guess what? He's watching you. He's watching what you say. He's watching your actions. He's watching all of that. He doesn't know the word of God like Brad Clark and Charlie Dunham. He doesn't spend time reading it. He doesn't know the Christian life. So all he knows is you. So that's why there's six verses there also, because Uh, this was written for people that their husband was not a believer, because back in those days, the majority of men were not believers and they were married to women that believed Jesus because women fell in love with Jesus much easier. We're emotional. We, we find our need in him quickly. So that was so intriguing to me. And I love how his, this commentary said you know what, wife, you are very special and God has a special hand on you because he knows your marriage is hard. He knows that and that he, your husband is watching your actions. So these things that are written here are for you just to remind you so that your husband sees you and he sees what a Christian is just through you. So if you're nagging and you're cranky and you're talking down to him and all those things, he's like, well, I don't want to be a Christian. Right. if If that's what a Christian is, I want nothing to do with it. So I just fell in love with this scripture, looking at it in a whole different way. And I love how he emphasized that women that are married to a non-believer, God has a special interest in you. He holds Brad Clark and Charlie Dunham to a different 
point of view. He, they, they know what to do. Yeah. They're stuck. Chrissy and Brad and I were talking about this earlier. Charlie's not the same man today that he was in his twenties. Oh my gosh. You know, (laughs) so, cause we can be kind of critical of younger couples like, Oh, you know, they're this, or they're doing that or whatever. Brad's like, yeah, Lisa, don't forget when I was in my twenties in my thirties, I'm, I wasn't as strong in my faith. I was trying to build my business and I was focused on so many things. So a lot of this is maturity as well. And we can't be, that's why having graceful contact and, and, oh, verse four, what does it say? Rather, let it be hidden, the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gosh, you know, that is just so, so beautiful. And that verse four, that gentle um, has a, a caress in it. Yet behind gentleness stands the strength of steel. The supreme characteristic of the gentle woman is that she oh. lives under perfect control. She's not that. given to panic, but exudes great strength. Quiet too suggests being under control. It also means to, to evidence a calming influence. Together, the two words speak of strength of character, strong self-control, describing a person of quiet elegance and dignity. Does that sound like the submissive thing that we get such a bad rap for? No. No. That sounds like a woman who knows what she knows, who is strong and is able to control this. And I mean, golly, it's just such a beautiful picture. And the fact that Peter was stressing this, like he was like, woman. Your influence is great. Yes. You're, you never discount your influence. Live like this. Live like I've called you to, like God has called you to live. And your influence will affect generations. So, That's wow, right. does, the, does the enemy want us to focus in on that negative connotation of submission? Doesn't he? He wants us to oh. focus in on that and divide us. And then that the first thing we jump to is women. Of oh, well, I don't have to do what he right. says. I don't right. have to do that. Well, as a believer and Charlie Dunham, as a believer, we're equals. We're right. equals. Yes. But Charlie Dunham leads me. Yes. He is in charge of the family. If we get ready, this is my famous, famous example. One time we were going to buy a refrigerator and I wanted the stainless steel and he wanted the white because it was $120 cheaper. Right. <laughs> And we stood there and got in a big argument over stainless steel or white. And I look back at that now and think that was so silly on my part that I was standing my ground. And finally, I said, you know what? You're in charge. You you do what you think is best. Well, he bought the stainless steel. Of course. But it was ugly. It was it was an ugly exchange. And what I've learned over the years, young wives, is that. You tell him your opinion with this strength and dignity and all the things that Lisa just described, confident. This is what I think we ought to do. But Charlie, you're in charge. And if the white refrigerator is what you think is best for us, then I'm good. But here's why we need the stainless. And let him decide. Yeah. And y'all, nine times out of 10, it'll go your way because you're letting him make the decision. You're stepping in instead of stepping on. You're not stepping on him and trying to take over. You're just stepping in with these words that Lisa so beautifully described and saying, it's your call, but here's my opinion. And then you're good. That's right. Then you release it. You release it. 
Now okay. that took a lot of years to learn, girls. Oh gosh. A lot, yes. a lot of years. It sure did. All right. Anything else you want to point out before I read verse eight? No, I think I'm good. Okay. I'm going to read verses eight through 12. Finally, because he's already talked about all these things, society, all that. Okay. So now he's like, finally, here's my last point. All of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and let his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Now, here's what Paul is talking about here. Just a few minutes ago, I said he kind of broke this down into four areas. Society, here's how you do in society. Here's what you do with family. Here's what you do with government. And now he's approaching the church, the big C, not just Baptist, Methodist. He's talking to the church, all believe. And he's saying, finally, all of you, here are five things that I want you to focus on because people will stare at you when you stand up for the president. You know, when you talk about government, people are going to stare at you the way you handle your family. People are going to talk about you with the way you treat your master as a slave. So he's covered all this in a very public forum. Now we're talking to the church. When we go inside our church, who is there? It's family. Yeah. There are, there are guests there, yes. But the majority of the crowd is family. The majority of the crowd are believers. And so now he's addressing the church and he's like, okay, now it's time to learn what, how you're supposed to act when no one is looking, when no one is looking. And I love this. These five things are what we need to focus on as the church. We need to be like-minded. We don't need to be arguing over silly things. We need to focus on the scripture. This is what it says. This is what we believe. And this is what we're going to do. So we need to be like-minded. No fussing amongst the church. Sympathetic. We need to have empathy. We need to be We need to focus on others and not ourselves. We need to have a heart for those that are breaking. We need to have, we need to take action for those that need help. We need to keep our eyes and ears open with each other inside our congregation. You know, the church is so good about helping others because again, people are watching and that's not why we do it, but I think sometimes we can get caught up in that. But instead, we need to have sympathy for each other. We need to be taking care of each other. We need to be open. We need to be honest. We need to tell people when we need prayer. We need to tell people when we need help. All those things. If I, if my cupboard is empty, I need to let someone know in the church, just like in the first church. Remember how they took care of each other? Yeah. They broke bread together. They served together. And many came to know Christ during those days, because they were functioning as a healthy church. His third thing was to love one another. We can only love others if we love God first. 
So when we're focused on him, we love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we want to help others and we see others and not just ourselves. The fourth thing he said is to be compassionate. Have compassion on the people. Have compassion on those in the congregation, those that are in your class, the women that sit by you in Bible study, the people that the Lord has entrusted you with as your tribe. You need to be compassionate toward them. And then the last thing is being humble. And I think we, a lot of us struggle with this inside the church of just being humble, just enjoying who God is, doing the things he asks us to do. And he goes on to say, don't pay back evil for evil or insult for insult. In other words, give blessings. And I know I've grown up in the church. I've seen churches get in arguments at business meetings. I've seen deacons fuss over silly things, parking lots and all the things that go on inside the church. And as I read that commentary and as I was reading the scripture, preparing for all this, I thought, gosh, I have probably wasted a lot of time listening to business meetings, argue as a little girl and talk about things that at the end of the day didn't really matter. It it all comes down to being humble, that what does God want? Not what you want as a member or what you want as a committee, but what does God want? And I love these five things. And I think as a church, the big C church, all churches, if we focus on those things, the Lord will use us and he will further his kingdom with us. No doubt. And in, in I love in verse 12, where he says, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. I want his ears to always be open to my prayer. So my prayer for myself is that he finds me doing those five things. He finds me. And really all of this kind of falls under submission. And this is yeah. submission to God. This is who he's called us to be. This is who Jesus was. He had all of these characteristics. Yeah. And our call is to be like-minded, not only with each other, but with him. Yeah. So I loved that little portion of scripture, knowing that Paul was talking to the church and encouraging them and saying, look, in these doors, no one sees what goes on. When you're out with the government and you're honoring the president or the governor or whatever, that's fine. You know, when you're out with your family, people see that. When you are in society, you know, as a slave with your master, all those, we've covered all the outside things, but now let's do some family business. And this is who we need to be. And this will draw people to Jesus. That's right. And, you know, I mean, I know this is the case for you. I know it is for me. Some of my relationships within the church are stronger than my blood relationships. Yes. And, and I think that's what God intended. I mean, Jesus himself said, who's my brother and who's my sister. I mean, you know, you tell me that is so important because when you truly understand that this relationship is, is thicker than, than blood, this relationship that we have through Jesus Christ, then those relationships, I mean, I think about our marriage, our family, our own spiritual development, the church was right there doing everything for us. When we were young married, you know, providing teachers and, and opportunities for service, and they've helped grow us up. They helped grow our children up. They've helped our marriage stay strong, the church has. And so I think that's so important for us to realize that this, this lesson that he's telling the church is, hey, this is a vital part of your life. This is the church is part of your DNA. 
So this is how to do it. This is how to do church well. Any list of things which you've already gone through. So I think it's just so good. Okay, let me keep reading. Verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who devile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's one of my favorite scriptures, Chrissy, verse 15, but always be ready to give a defense for to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yes. We're supposed to be able to respond. Mm-hmm. You know, why are you not just totally riddled with fear right now during this pandemic? Right? Right. Why, why are you joyful? Why are you not cowering down to whatever? Why are you like you are? <laughs> right. Why are you the way you are? Well, if we just say, uh, I don't know, or, well, I'm just strong or, you know, all the answers that we can give, uh, the answer is Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. That's right. Jesus is the reason I am the way I am. And so We need to always be ready to testify about what he's doing in our life, that he enables us to have this hope and give a ready defense. That word fear is used several times. Well, we know that that is reverent. That is not the shaking in your boots like we're so, you know, well-equipped to do. That is the reverence and the adoration and the love we have for God, understanding that he is sovereign and that he is Lord over all. That's right. Lord of all. And we trust that. And you know what? I didn't trust him as much when I was 20 as I do now. And that is one of the blessings of, of maturing is that we see, oh, that scripture, Romans 8, 28, where it says all things work out for the good. That's really true. (laughs) That really happens. That really is trustworthy. That really is true. And we've been able to walk that out and see it in our lives and see it in other people's lives. Where when you're in your 20s and even 30s, you haven't had that much experience with being able to figure out that God really is good. And we can give lip service to that and we can say it all day long. But until you've experienced suffering and hardship and watched your loved ones suffer and experience hardship and you've seen the things that happen in the world. You don't, you don't know as much as you, as you know, as you get older. So giving that testimony is, is so important. I love that. I love that. Jenny Allen spoke in Waco the other night, and there was a picture of her husband watching her teach and their daughter was there. And the daughter, Jenny, I love to watch dad's face. When you teach, he gets big tears in his eyes. And he, you can tell he's just so proud of you. And so she shared that with her husband. And he said, if she had only known me in my twenties, 
You know, he, in other words, I didn't get it in my twenties, yeah. but I get it now that I'm older. I've experienced life. I've raised kids. My walk with the Lord looks totally different. Yeah. And I love that word that you shared that, that it's so true. We, we mature as we grow and we are not the same people, nor should we be. Right. All right. Verse 18 to the end of this chapter. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight, were saved through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and has the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. This is a strong way to end this portion of the letter. Peter is reminding them, this is why Jesus died. He suffered for our sins once and for all, once and for all that he might bring you to God. So in other words, this is why we exist. This is what we're all about. That's what this church is all about. We are here to say that. He also goes into this whole thing, this spirits in prison and all of that I didn't get. So I did a little research on that. I wish I'd spent more time, but he's basically saying He's taking it back to the Noah days. Do you remember how God found Noah? Noah was the only man that was righteous in the eyes of God, right? Yeah. He was the yeah. only one living right out of all the people. He was the only one and that he saved eight people. So he's reminding them of that story that they learned as little children that, you know, Noah, there were only eight people saved. And from that, God died on a cross for you, for you. And you need to hear that and understand that and know that is what's happening. Now, these spirits in prison, I just want to touch on that a second. He's talking about the invisible war that goes on between the spiritual world and the world that we live in. There is a war going on between the demons and the angels, and it goes on constantly. I remember doing a study with Priscilla Shire, and she that that was her opening statement. I want you to realize there is a war going on for your soul, that there are angels that are fighting over you with the demons, the demons that are trying to drag you down into their muck. And even though we don't want to think about it and we don't want to talk about it, that's the reality. So when he talks about these spirits in prison, that is who he is talking about, that he, he, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. In other words, he reminded them, I am in charge here. I am in charge. And there's a reason why you're in prison and I have the authority to put you away. And yes, there's going to be spiritual wars. And yes, there's going to be things that go on in the heavenlies that we don't see or experience. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't know that. That we do have angels attending to us, taking care of us protecting us. And that's what this whole thing is about, is that he came to die for you, this undeserved thing. And there is still a battle that goes on over you that we don't even know about. 
And just like our good friend Carmen taught us a few years ago, one of the very first lessons is in Genesis 4, where it says that sin is crouching at the door. So every day you get to make a decision. Am I going to give in to that sin? Am I going to let that demon in my life and let him control my attitudes and my decisions and um, my responses? Am I going to give in to that or am I going to fight? for what I know is right and keep my eyes on Jesus because sin is always crouching at that door, at that door, just waiting. So I was reminded of that as I read this and just a strong in from Peter that as the church, your job is to tell people what God has done, that he died on that cross, that he might bring you to God. I love that line, that he might bring you to God. So what a great invitation. What a great way to end this part of the chapter. Lisa, the time is now. We talked about this earlier uh, before we got on the podcast. If there's some urgency right now to tell people about Jesus, there's an urgency uh, just with the way the world is going. So I love that we're going to end the podcast today on this note that he died, that he might bring you to God. What an invitation. What a story. What a God. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We truly appreciate it. If you like what you heard and were encouraged, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because your recommendation for our podcast brings us great joy and it helps others find out about us. And if you are able to help support our podcast ministry, We would absolutely love that. You can go to chrissydunham.org and click the link to the party table. No donation is too small. We are so thankful for you. God bless.